Right, and you guys can see the um, PowerPoint, okay? Okay, I can't hear anybody, so just somebody take yourself off mute and let me know. Hello? Yeah, can you see the PowerPoint, okay? Yes. All right, yes. All right yes. so here we go. Um, you all are familiar with the copyrights and what our, um, how we do things. So there's that. Um, and this is the giving information. Now I, I try to, I, I try to remember, but I do forget often. So this is here. Um, I'm sure there'll be someone posting this in the chat, just so that we're reminded to give if the Lord leads you. So tonight we're going to continue, uh, with the series on exploring the life of God, um, I have taken a couple of nuggets from what Apostle Teresa has been sharing with us over the last couple of weeks. Um, and tonight I want to talk about God's preeminent thought. And so that is what we're going to be talking about. Um, so as, as Apostle has been breaking things down, it has just been mind boggling um, to bring how she has been able God has used her to bring us into a place um, to really consider God's life. You know, everything more often than not that we do or think about has been or is generated out of our needs or what we want to see or how we feel. You know what I mean? And so she's brought us into a place to where we are postured to really examine God's life. What, what does he think? What does he feel? How has he observed the thing and how has he orchestrated things, looking at things from his perspective? And I really, really appreciate um, this series because I don't know about you, but it has reminded me of things that I have taken for granted um, and almost expected. So we expect to get up every morning. We expect to see the sunrise. We expect to see the sunset. We expect the sun to shine. We expect to be able to breathe. You know, we expect all of these things. And, um, you know, God loves us and, and uh, he's going to do whatever he wants to make sure that we uh, understand that he loves us. But in the midst of all of that, where do we stop and take a pause and really consider his feelings, his heart, uh, where he stands on things? And so um, as I've been taking nuggets over the last couple of weeks, it, I'm, I'm, I'm led back. I've been led back to what I believe God's preeminent thought has been out of everything he's done. His exemplary, foremost, and preeminent thought has always been image and likeness. When we go back to um, Genesis uh, chapter one, we, we see, we see that God said, let's make man in our own image and likeness. So if he set the standard at the beginning with that, it has to be what is propelling everything else as we move through history. And, and here we go, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And I'll go ahead and read that. And I've called out some things on this particular slide because I really want us to meditate on these pieces here. It's not just 
words on the page. It's not just something for us to read to, you know, to feel good. There is, there is something very profound about the fact that God set this as the precedence from the beginning. God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, tame, the tame beasts and over all of the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his image, his own image, in the image and likeness of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so this is the standard. This is the place out of which God has moved throughout our you know, our existence as mankind. He loves us. He wanted a family and he wanted to see his reflection in his creation. And so I I, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago on, um, during Bible study, one of my comments was, I have always been intrigued um, with, with the sea, with the ocean and mountains and the landscape and nature. And um, this particular series has you know, reminded me that it's because I am witnessing the mind of God. I'm witnessing his, you know, his thoughts. I'm witnessing it manifested. And so I, you know, it it makes sense that I would be drawn in and whatever those things are in creation that draw you in the same way, it's the same thing. God is actually captivating you with his own image per se in, well, his handprint in creation. But for him to use his creativity and to intricately design and create everything the way he has and just just how mind-boggling some of the things are in this earth, the fact that we are his greatest creation, um, that just leaves you speechless, really. That leaves me speechless, I know. Um, And... Because we are his most prized possession, we are the we are at the top of his uh, creation. There is something very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Very significant about what he what his thoughts are concerning us. He wants to see his reflection. So. Um, we understand based off what we've been learning and just being in the scribal conservatory period, that prophecy, um, at its most basic definition is the heart and mind of God, no matter how it's, um, demonstrated, the premise of it is God's heart and mind. And as you see in revelation 19 and 10, um, it, it talks about how for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So Jesus Christ is prophecy and creation is the word, the, the word of God. It is the um, the heart and mind of God. It is, it is his thought life. And it all stems from his preeminent thought that he wants to see his reflection, his image and his likeness. And Jesus Christ is the firstborn, which is the example of what, what we are to look like. That's why we are image bearers. And so, um, Three, there were three questions that Apostle asked last week or on Sunday, and they're pretty much the same question. It's from the same premise, um, but the way she worded them was very significant. And that's where I want to kind of, you know, hang out a little bit tonight. Um, And I'm going to read the questions to you, and I want to, I want you to just think about them as I, as I repeat them. Um, 
and really consider this at a deeper level than just surface, because there is something here. How does God want us to love him? Have we ever really thought about that? The second way she asked the question was, how do you want to be loved, God, us talking to him? And then what is my role in loving you, God? What is God, how does he feel about that? When you're in a relationship, it shouldn't be one-sided, correct? Because everything God does is out of his love, out of his relationship, out of wanting communion and community. And so it's being rooted and grounded and based on love. Have we ever considered what he, how he wants us to love him and how we fit into the plan and what we're supposed to be doing to demonstrate that we do love him? How, how does all of that look? Have we ever really considered it? And um, something that came to mind, and I'm not necessarily promoting this particular book, um, but I want us to think about the five love languages. I know most people have heard of that. Um, and so with the five love languages, it, it talks about how people um, receive love, how they, how they um, define love as in terms of how it's given to them. And when she asked those questions, I, that's what I started thinking about. Like, wow, you know, most times people, the way we love, we extend love based on how we receive love. So um, one, of the, one of the ways, one of the five love languages is like acts of service. And that's how I particularly show love. If, if I love you, I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you are taken care of, even if it's my last dime, if it's my last uh, article of clothing, if it's my last morsel of food, I'm trying to go out of my way to make sure that I'm, I am serving you. That's how I demonstrate love. But my husband Although his, you know, his is acts of service too. His more primary love language is um, quality time, or I'm sorry, um, I believe it's uh, physical touch. And so, if I'm always trying to show him love through acts of service, but his primary love language is um, physical touch there's going to be some level of disconnect and frustration because while I'm thinking I'm showing love, he's thinking that I'm not. Does that make sense? Um, and so there has to be a moment of time where there is a conversation had to say, this is what I know how to do to show you love. But what is it that you need to know that I love you? And, um, and so when that conversation is had in the midst of relationship, there's an understanding. And now there is a flow in the relationship. There is a, a reciprocation happening and there's no interruption. And so this particular set of questions asks us to, to, to take a minute and consider how God wants to be loved. We have all of these um, ideas and uh, all of these things that have been ingrained into us and, and um, you know, beat into us. And we've been conditioned to believe that certain things demonstrate our love towards the, 
towards God. Um, a lot of it has been steeped in religion. So if you go to church, you love God. If you prophesy and you love God, if you're singing in the choir, you love God. If you're praying all night, you love God. If you, you know, if you're speaking in tongues, you love God. You know, all of these these things and stuff that man has um, elevated above what God deems as loving him. And so again, have you considered this? We have to ask the Lord this question so that we can ensure that what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're perceiving is actually communicating to him our love for him in the way that, uh, that he desires it. Okay. I hope that's making sense. Um, so if we go to Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31, and I want to read that, um, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And, um, this has been shared over several months. Um, the two laws through which God does everything. These two laws are which all of the other commandments stem off of. So uh, Mark 12, 30 through 31, and the word of God reads, and you shall love the Lord your God out of and with your whole heart and out of and with all of your soul, your life, and out of and with all of your mind, with your faculty of thought and your moral understanding and out of and with all of your strength. This is the first and the principal commandment. So the principal commandment is to love God with everything we have, everything we are, every facet of who we are. And verse 31 says, the second is like it and is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so that is, those two commandments um, are the the underbelly, the undercurrent of every other commandment that God has given down through history, the history of mankind. And so if we go to John 14, 12 through 21, and I'm not going to read all of that, but one of the things that Jesus actually reiterates and foot stomps is that if we love him, then we will obey his commandments. Let me say that again. If we love the Lord, we will obey his commandments. It will not be about what we want and um, doing what we think we need to be doing or, or what somebody else is telling us to do. It will be that God has asked of us to do something, commanded us to do something, and we have responded in obedience. Obedience is the way that we love God. That's how he wants to be loved. Now that obedience looks different for each person because everyone has a different call. Everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different audience. Everyone has a different, um, unique and, uh, a unique, um, expression of Christ. But the bottom line is that obedience demonstrates the fact that we love him. So, I want you to think about that for a minute. Have you been obedient? Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Have you been obedient? And if you have, if you have considered God's commandments above everything, above how you feel, above what you see, if you've considered his commandments above what others want you to do, be, and say, and you walk out what he's asked of you, then you 
and me, we are demonstrating love when we obey. And um, if we go to John uh, 21, 15 through 17, I'm going to read that one. When they, and this is, this, you know, this is um, when Jesus was talking to the disciples and Peter stepped up and, and responded to him. And um, the word of God reads, when they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Others do with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the father. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. He said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the father? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. He said to him, shepherd or tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep, instinctive, personal affection for me as for a close friend? Peter was grieved was saddened and hurt that he should ask him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know everything, Lord. You know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. And Jesus concluded and said to him, feed my sheep. So the answer to the question that we pose to God, how do you want me to love you, God? What is my role in loving you, God? Where, where, how does all of that fit? How does all of that look? It is obedience. And in this particular account, it Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep. That's obedience. Whatever your, whatever your entrustment is, whatever your assignment is, whatever your task is that God has given you, you must walk it out to demonstrate that you love the Lord. First John 5 and 3 reads, everyone who believes is born again child of God and everyone who loves the father loves the one born of him. By this, we come to know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. I'm gonna read that again. Verse two, by this, we come to know, recognize and understand that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands, his orders and charges, when we keep his ordinances and are mindful of his precepts and his teachings. We must obey to demonstrate that we love God. Um, our One of the things that, that I love about how this series has been going is, and, and not just the series, a lot of the teachings that we've been getting in the Scribal Conservatory has definitely pulled the covers back concerning how we have been thinking, how we have been um, assessing ourselves, how we've been assessing God. And a lot of, and this is what I'm getting ready to say, this is not about condemning anyone. This is about truly identifying some of the things that keep us from this place of obedience. Okay. So I just wanted to put that out there so you know, but in the negative commentary and in 
the thought processes that we have that have been um, we, in which we've been conditioned, we don't, there's a lot of times when we don't believe what God has said. And so that disrupts our obedience because we're afraid or we don't feel like um, we can measure up to what he's asked us to do. We don't feel like we can do it right. We don't feel like we can, um, you know, bring it across the finish line. We have all of these different thoughts. And so we wrestle with that truth. And in the midst of wrestling with the truth, the, the commandment continues to go unfulfilled. The, the, the assignment continues to go on incomplete. And so we have to address the things that are keeping sorry. us, sorry, that's my watch, that keeps us from moving into this place of, of demonstrating our devotion and love for God. So in the midst of that area where we are struggling to move without hesitation, to move without reservation into obedience, that has to be dealt with. And it's all rooted in our thought life. It's all rooted in our thought life. That is what, where, um, where our actions stem from. That is where our actions stem from. So if we can deal with that part of us, this part of showing God that we love him will come by default. So my question for consideration is what is keeping you specifically from fully immersing yourself in the Lord in terms of doing what he's asked you to do? Who has caused you to fear? What are you saying to yourself that is stopping you from putting one foot in front of the other to actually walk out the assignment? What is keeping you? Are you comparing yourself to someone else? Are you looking at what someone else has done, um, how someone else moves, what someone else has? Is that your standard? Remember, the standard, the precedent is God's preeminent thought, which is image and likeness. He wants to see his reflection. And when we do not obey, he does not see his reflection. I hope y'all hearing what I'm saying. When we are disobedient, we are not in that moment. We are not um, reflecting the image of God. We are not demonstrating to him that we love him. Because we're, 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 we're in this, this rat race, we're in this place of contention, we're in this place of over-analysis. And I don't know if you all have heard this um, phrase before, over-analysis leads to paralysis. The more we're sitting there thinking about, oh, how, how bad it is, or how much we don't measure up, or how, um, how bad we're going to fail, again, the assignment goes incomplete. And we are, we're rehearsing that so much to ourselves that it paralyzes us and keeps us from breaking out into action, keeps us from moving and breaking out into obedience. And um, one of the things that, that really, really uh, grieves my heart, and, um, and, and I'm first partaker of what I'm saying, is when we don't even in the midst of what's going on when we don't move forward and obey because there are so many things and people connected to our obedience. 
And God knew that from the beginning when he orchestrated everything out of his preeminent thought of likeness and image. He wants us individually to bear his image so that we can come together collectively to, to bear his image as one. And so that we can show forth his love in the earth. But if one or two of you see this, you, you see this um, particular picture, if one or two of us are off in a place of paralysis, and then the heart is distorted, the image is distorted. We had to do this thing together. It is greater than just us. So when we're in that place of contemplating, well, you know, I don't know if I have enough, I don't know if I can, and all of these types of things, we are, we are causing the body of Christ to be incapacitated to a degree, handicapped to a degree, um, you know, going without, because we're all members of one body. And so we must come into the place of doing what we've been called to do. And I know you guys probably are like, oh my gosh, she says the same thing all the time. I unapologetically do that because that's how God made me. And this is the message. This is part of the core of what I've been put in this earth to do. And I refuse, I refuse to not complete the assignment that he has given. I refuse to not walk in the call that is upon my life. And so I want to, I want to, I want that, that desire and that passion to be awakened in everybody that I come in contact with. And I believe that is, that is the heart of the, of Apostle Teresa, of the, the scribal conservatory. Um, I believe that is the collective heart. But we have to drill down into our individual pieces and say, what do I need to do to make sure that there is no disruption? What do I need to do in my sphere to ensure that there is no disconnect? What do I need to do to make sure that I'm showing God that I love him? Because we can say a lot of things. He talked of, of Israel and he said their, their lips praise me and they worship me and all of that, but their heart is far from me. And the reason he could say that is because they were not obeying his commands, his instructions, his orders. When God tells us to move and we move, he says they got it. They, they're showing love. They, 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 they know how I receive love. They, when, when, when he tells us to go left and we go left, yes, they got it. They are demonstrating the fact that they love me. But when we go a different direction, what that says is that we have, what we have done is we've elevated ourselves above him and he should be the priority. And when you talk about love, love elevates others over self. Come on now. Love is concerned about others over self, not to your detriment to where, you know, you're no good for anyone else because you're, you know, you're, you know, you're not able to operate or function. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about heart right here. Where is your heart and your mind in, in terms of love? Are you thinking about you over everybody else? Have you put you above God? Have you put you above others? Mark 12, 30 and 31, we, and I read it for you. The, those two commandments,
commandments are the bedrock for every other command God gives. So if we are elevating ourselves, if we are making ourselves the priority instead of God and instead of making sure that others are, are able to see him and to experience his love, something is very wrong. And so my appeal tonight um, is truly that you, me, all of us take a minute and really examine what we are allowing to cause us to be disconnected from the place of obedience. What is that gulf between the commandment and our obedience? What's happening in between those two things? What, what, what's happening and what can be done to resolve that issue? Because God, like us, we want to be loved. It's in us to want to be accepted, to want to be wanted, to want to be desired. God created us with free will. He did not want to force us to love him. He wanted us to want to love him. He created us to, to, to make a choice on whether we would or wouldn't. Now, it breaks his heart when we don't. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He's, his love is unconditional. But in terms of him, because this is truly about him, what is it that's keeping us from demonstrating our love towards him? We understand his, you know, his love towards us. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And all of these things, the fact that we're still breathing is a demonstration of love. The fact that we can see, can hear, can participate um, on this call tonight is a demonstration that he loves us, that, that we're breathing, that we have life. We have all these things that were birthed out of his love for us. But where is our love for him? Where is our love for him? Where is our um, abstaining from something or having self-discipline not to involve ourselves in something that we know would break his heart and cause us to not obey. What, what, where are we in terms of that? Where are we in terms of the thoughts that we're having that are contrary to his thoughts towards us? Where are, where is our, um, our engagement and making sure that we eradicate those things from our thought life that keep us from fully loving God. When, when again, when I look at the ocean, it, it, there are no words. The, the ocean is speaking to me. There are no verbal words, but the ocean is speaking to me. It's very presence is speaking of God's love for me. And the awe and the wonder that I feel when I look at it, it's like, man, the Lord loves me that much. And, 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 and my thing is, what are we doing to make him stand back and say, my daughter, my son loves me that much that they would sever that particular relationship that is causing them to go down the wrong road. My daughter, my son loves me that much that they would, um, they would launch out and start a business that they have been too afraid to, to start because they believe they don't have the resources or the skill set to sustain it. Where, where is the moments where, where are the moments where God can stand back and say, 
I know they love me. I know my daughter and my son loves me because they, instead of going to that restaurant to eat tonight, um, they heard my, my wooing and they felt my pulling and they felt me calling them into the word to study a couple things tonight. Where are the moments where God is able to say, to step back and just smile in awe because he sees his reflection in you? Where do you stop and you say, in the midst of what's getting ready to go on, this decision I'm about to make, will I be able to say, what can I say or do whatever is going to be necessary for God to stand up and say, she loves me, he loves me. Just by your sheer action, your sheer decision to intentionally obey. I hope this is, this is making sense. So this, I believe this might be my last slide. I'm, I don't know what time it is. We're at 8, 12. Um, but when we read Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, um, this is where, of course, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And this particular verse, it talks about when we're praying to um, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even in this prayer, we can see, as I've highlighted, that it is, it is all about God's will being done. That is the place of obedience. That is the place that demonstrates that we love him. And what's so great about that is it also demonstrates, uh, reiterates his um, design. How he designed us was free will. It, this is a prayer, but it is also a decision. We pray your will, your, your kingdom come, your will be done, but his kingdom is here already. And so with his kingdom being here, can we be obedient to ensure his will is done to demonstrate his, uh, to demonstrate that we love him. And this picture, I've used this several times and I love it because what it demonstrates is that heaven is coming to earth when we stay connected and that connection is our obedience. That connection is where heaven can up, come to earth uninterrupted, unhindered. It can come in the fullness of God's intention, and it can come and make the intended impact. Can we be obedient? Can we demonstrate our love towards God? Can we say yes to God? Can we relinquish everything else that we deem important, that we deem is, 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 is primary and priority? Can we relinquish those things and can we obey? Because God wants to be loved too. Yes, he is our creator. Yes, he is, 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 is all-knowing and, 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 and everywhere, omniscient and, and all of those different words, but he still desires to be loved. He does not want to strong arm us. He wants us to want him. And he wants us to demonstrate love to him, not the way we want to receive love, but the way he wants to receive love. Going to church, checking in for service, singing in the choir, doing all these things, that's all great. But who did that satisfy? Did it satisfy him? Or did it satisfy you? 
Did it demonstrate love for him or did it demonstrate love for you? Did it demonstrate his will or did it demonstrate your will? Did it demonstrate what we want? These are questions now that God has allowed us to get this this revelation and get this understanding. These are questions we need to be asking ourselves. When he gives us breath to breathe, to wake up in the morning, we need to be asking, what can I do today, God, to show you that I love you, to show you that I appreciate you, that I am grateful for another chance? What does God get? for putting breath in our lungs. And not that it's a tip for tat, because we can never repay God for anything. And not that it's out of obligation. But when you truly love someone, there is, there is nobody, nobody has to tell you to do anything. You begin to, out of your own desire, you begin to do certain things. And it is evident, not just to you, because you're the one doing it, but those around you will begin to see as well that, man, they really love the Lord because, ooh, they could have made some other decisions, but they they determined that they weren't, they were going to go the way he told them to go. People will be able to see the evidence, the proof that you love God. What are you asking yourself this question? So I, I think I think that is all I have. I I um I really don't want to beat a dead horse. Um and I really don't want to uh get on your nerves with repeating the same things. But I I my desire, my true desire is that we examine ourselves to the point where it moves us out of these places of complacency, out of these places of fear and um, being in 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 stagnation that keeps us from showing God we love him. We love him. I mean, but but we've been allowing things to keep us from a fuller, more complete demonstration of it. Does that make sense? We've been... um, you know, doing things that are contrary to really demonstrating that we, that, that desire that is in us to love him. We've been doing other things that make it, makes it look like we don't love it. And we don't want to give the wrong impression, right? We don't want to, we don't want to give Uh, We don't want to demonstrate incorrectly. We want to show the Lord that we love him. And through that and loving others, we want, we want the world to see that love. So um, I'm done. I I guess I can stop the recording. Um, But my, my prayer is that uh, tonight that there be a provocation on the inside that causes you to really rehearse the questions that have been asked that apostle asked on Sunday. And I'm reiterating tonight, um, God, how do you want to be loved? And what, what part do I play in the midst of that? So I'm going to stop the recording.